0: Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Ghost Spider Groupies, the podcast dedicated to Gwen Stacy of Earth 65, also known as Spider Gwen and Ghost Spider, where we review her comics, discuss news and give our opinions about all things Gwen 65. I'm Pax.
1: And I'm Abigail. Well, unfortunately, we don't have a Weekend update this week, so we're just going to dive into today's read. So this week, we're reading Party People, which is actually the final arc of this current volume of Ghost Spider. You know, we're currently reading through the main Spider-Gwen Ghost Spider comics, and last week, we read Ghost Spider Annual Number 1, which was written by Vita Ayala with lines drawn by Pere Pere, where Gwen ended up in Murder World fighting against Arcade's androids. It was part of the Acts of Evil event. So for this arc, Party People... There's a new artist here. It's Iguara. They take over for Takeshi Maezawa from the previous arc. But there's also a little bit of Rosie Campe in number six's issue. And this arc actually partially sort of kind of ties in with Outlawed. Like, not much. They just mention it. But it does have an effect on Gwen during this arc.
0: Yeah, the, the, I remember when back when some of the stuff was solicited, it was solicited as being part of Outlawed. Before the sort of changes we'll get into, but yeah, this is the last arc of a Spider Gwen Go Spider ongoing that was published by Marvel. Um, everything that's had going in since has been miniseries or tie-ins or event stuff. It hasn't been an ongoing monthly series. This is the last we got before it all sort of ended. So yeah, we're gonna gonna do that today.
1: Yeah. So you know, as always, we put links in the description of where to buy and what to read, and that's her reading list and the comicsology links. Every week what we always do is sort of a synopsis of the arc, so that way we don't have to um, recap everything when we deliver our thoughts, and just so we're all on the same page. And should we get started? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so the comic begins. Five years ago, Johnny and Sue Storm of Earth-65 supermodels and social media influencers went missing in Latveria. They were the children of Dr. Franklin Storm, a now notorious serial killer, and Manhattan socialite Mary Storm, and the idols of Gwen and the Mary Janes.
0: When their father was arrested on multiple counts of murder while they were young, it sent them down a different track to the one seen on other Earths. To maintain her high-flying lifestyle, Mary Storm turned her children into social media influencers. They became influencer royalty and stayed that way until their disappearance.
1: The Mary Janes have recently been going to concerts across the multiverse, finding it a good way to spend their time together and bond. MJ and Gwen get along and banter well, especially compared to their recent interactions.
0: George Stacy has returned to police work and butts heads with Gwen at a bank robbery hostage situation. Gwen is frustrated with the police's slowness at dealing with the ongoing crime so preemptively acts, stealthily infiltrating the building and defeating the armed robbers inside. Despite the early attention, George thanks Gwen for her assistance before being called away to deal with the call.
1: Johnny and Sue Storm, after their five-year disappearance, materialized in the middle of Times Square. They are soon picked up by police and dealt with by Captain Stacy. They appear to be unaware of the time passed since they left.
0: In a moment of purported surprise and anger at the ineffectiveness of the police during their absence, Johnny accidentally spills coffee on himself, but doesn't notice that he's done this. George mentions that he should wipe it off before it scolds, and so Johnny feigns pain, Sue is annoyed at him for the whole situation, and smacks him over the head. It's at this point that Mary Stone bursts into the emotionally charged situation, reunites with her children, and leaves with them.
1: Gwen wakes up the next morning and panics when she finds that her father isn't home. She goes to visit him at the police station to check that he's okay, and he explains how the storms have returned. Gwen wonders about why they never turned out like the superheroes in most of the multiverse.
0: Meanwhile, the maker, Reed Richards of Earth 1610, watches from afar, seeing the storm's return as a complication to his plan to make way for his world to be reborn.
1: The Storm family arrives at their home, hounded by paparazzi. A mysterious invisible force knocks the reporters aside as they make their way to the building.
0: While eating a corn dog, Gwen reflects on how the storm should never have been tossed into the deep end of the public eye by their mother before going to deal with the mugging in process. Before Gwen can sling a web, however, a blast of fire stuns the muggers, giving her an easy advantage over them. Gwen is confused by the fire but notes the coincidence with the return of Johnny storm.
1: Gwen goes to see the Reed Richards of Earth-65 at his usual chess-playing spot in the park. Reed comments that it's been a while since Gwen has come to see him. Gwen asks Reed about what he thinks of the storms returning, with both of their experiences in the multiverse indicating that normally there would be a connection between them. Reed says that he doesn't have the answers, but agrees to keep his eyes open to the situation. Meanwhile, the maker continues to watch, now seeing Reed 65 as a new target. While at college
0: on Earth 616, Gwen has a conversation with Peter 616 after class. She brings Peter up to date with the whole situation with Jackal 616 following her back to Earth-65. Peter gives her a warning regarding the Cradle program and the outlawing of superheroes under the age of 21. Gwen can only be a legal superhero if she has an adult chaperone with her.
1: Gwen argues with Peter over the point saying that she should be able to fight for what's right. Peter doesn't share the sentiment and errs on the side of caution in this new era, but Gwen doesn't have the same reverence for the law. The symbiote twists and morphs her plain clothes outfit with hints of her venomized appearance while she rants. Gwen storms off, backing down and saying that she won't go looking for trouble but is still furious of Peter.
0: Gwen spends the day ruminating on the unjust situation back on Earth-616 after she gets back to her home reality. She ends up attending to the scene of a large fire in an apartment block. Using her symbiote spiders to track down trapped residents, she rescues a number of people from the flames the fire takes a large toll on her
1: symbiote. The Storms restart their significant social media presence. They reintroduce themselves to their audience and reveal newfound superpowers. Calling out Ghost Spider for a team-up specifically, they further announce their intention to fight crime.
0: Gwen wakes up the next day in an angsty mood following the combination of the Cradle lore, the fire's effects on the symbiote, and the now mounting pressure of having to do a team-up with the Storm siblings.
1: At breakfast, George chastises Gwen for running into the inferno and the amount of danger she puts herself in. Gwen compares it to his commitment to serving the people of New York in the police department, but he denies the similarity. Gwen loses her temper and, referencing the 616 outlawing of underage superheroes, says that she is doing her best she can and people need to stop trying to stop her. The symbiote fully venoms out right there at the breakfast table as Gwen temper flares.
0: George manages to talk Gwen down, however, as he gets her to open up about the situation back on 616. Gwen makes a point about how they should try to live with what they've got instead of speculating about Gwen's life as she weren't a superhero. They make up, and Gwen leaves the
1: house. After continued pressure from social media, Gwen makes a response video to the storms, agreeing to team up for a superhero patrol that night. She finds her whole interaction humiliating, but reminds herself to keep on trying with her superhero endeavors in the public eye.
0: Gwen visits the Bodega Bandit, who is still hospitalized following the recent attack by manwolf thugs. His hamster Pinecone remains missing, but Gwen reassures that she and the police are still looking for him.
1: The Storms make an enthusiastic response video to Gwen. Right after, though, a sinister side to them is revealed as they kill their mother Mary and, using their powers in tandem, carefully dispose of the body.
0: Later at their agreed spot, Gwen nervously arrives to the team-up. The two hover in the air, Sue with her telekinesis and Johnny with his flames, setting off Gwen's spider sense. Sue enthuses about the reputation boost and circle media engagement that they'll get being seen with Ghost Spider, the established protector of New York City.
1: Gwen tries to garner details on how they got superpowers, but they rebuff her attempts. They head to the docks and shut down an operation of the man gang there. The fight goes well, and Gwen feels optimistic for the future with the storms protecting New York City, too.
0: We back to the secret origin of Johnny and Sue Storm getting their superpowers in Latveria. There they meet Dr. Doom, who after vaporizing their cameraman, invites them into his home and compound. There they train and undergo scientific experiments at his hands. Sue and Doom bond. Doom and Johnny don't know, and the former even physically abuses the latter. Sue doesn't tolerate this, and subsequently kills Doom, usurping his mantle and armor
1: in secret. We flash back to the present day where Sue demands a meeting with Gwen. Ghost Spider hurries, presuming something is wrong. The Storm siblings issue Gwen with an ultimatum to leave the city and its spotlight to them or face deadly consequences. Gwen angrily refuses and says that she won't go anywhere. Sue
0: responds by encasing Gwen's head in a telekinetic bubble, cutting off her oxygen. Sue begins to gloat but Gwen launches symbiote tendrils, constricting Sue and releasing her from the bubble. Johnny throws fire back, and Gwen dodges out of the way to recover. Sue stays in pursuit and attempts the bubble attack again, but the symbiote adapts further, supplying oxygen to her lungs directly. Web-slinging about, Gwen redirects the storm's attacks against each other.
1: The fighting stops when Sue encases Gwen in a much larger telekinetic bubble, but before she can kill her outright, Johnny talks his sister down, still having some ideal of wanting to be heroes. Still desiring to get rid of Gwen, they opt to blackmail her instead, threatening to release doctored footage to their massive followings to push the public perception of Ghost Spider back to being a negative one.
0: Gwen relents and goes back home to say goodbye to her father. She states her intention to focus on her studies. She leaves MJ with a voicemail apologizing for her abrupt absence and asking that people still check up on the bodega bandit and whether his hamster has shown up yet. With that, she leaves for Earth-616, vowing to one day return home
1: and this has been the final arc of this volume of ghost spider party people yeah i'm sad now um
0: yeah yeah it's been good it's been a ride i'm feeling the emotions of march 2020 when i read this issue and thought wow that was great i can't wait to see what happens next and then getting to that last page and just my my heart dropping just yeah um, yeah, cause
1: when it was announced the uh, cancellation, I'm thinking, no.
0: Yeah, yeah, it, and it came bundled with the issue, right? Like, so at the last page of Ghost Spider number ten is a, uh, it's a sort of letters slash end notes page called Gwensel's Down. They've been doing Gwensel's Down pages like throughout all the Ghost Spider runs, right? Uh, Spider Gwen runs, and this one here is a sort of it's a statement from the creative team. They've got Sean McGuire here, the artists and Devin It's from Devin Lewis, who is the who's been the pretty much the editor of all the Spider-Gwen comics.
1: Yeah, he's been there since day one.
0: Right. So Devin Lewis is writing here and basically they have these short statements from the creative team and then they say, well, that's that and stay tuned for unannounced ghost Spider-Comics. And they've done one mini series since then, which we'll do next week. But yeah, like a lot of this just doesn't get picked up, which is a real shame, I think. Um I think COVID killed maybe a lot of their plans.
1: COVID kind of screwed everybody over. Even the non-Gwen books, everyone else got screwed over.
0: Yeah. Like a, like a lot of, I, I at the time, right, I was, I'd, re, I'd really gone into Marvel Comics and I was reading this. This was COVID 2020, right? So I was looking at all these different comics they were publishing. I was reading this and really enjoying it. Scream, Curse of Carnage, really enjoying that. And Valkyrie, Jane Foster, really, really enjoying that. And all three of these were like, they were all really doing it for me. I was like, when COVID stops and comic book stores open up again, I'm gonna find my comics retailer. I'm gonna order these three comics so that I get them ongoing. And all three were cancelled within a few months. They didn't make it out of COVID. So um like I was pretty gutted by that. And uh yeah, like it's been rough, I think, uh since then, you know, we've sort of run out of appearances to go in.
1: Yeah, because other than King and Black, this is the only time canonically Unless if you want to count Last Remains, but that's just another thing. Like, we're just talking about the main stuff. And because every month we always watch out for the solicits thinking, is Gwen going to show up this time?
0: Yeah, I I think the thing with The Last Remains is that, like, Nick Spencer definitely hadn't read ghost spider when he wrote that like it doesn't it doesn't pick up any of the stuff here so like the stuff with like pete and gwen even though they interact a lot in the last remains like it doesn't pick up the fact that like the last conversation they had in gwen's comic was a pretty sour one you know but yeah um do we want to talk about like the plot lines and stuff that got dropped first or do we want to talk about our thoughts about the comic like itself first what are we going with here
1: Maybe we should talk about the stuff that got dropped first because there's quite a laundry list here in the notes. Okay. Okay. So starting with the stuff that got,
0: like, dropped earliest, right? So, like, I think the first thing that becomes evident that we've sort of touched on before is Harry Osborn hasn't Mm. shown up since Spider-Going Go, -Go -Go Spider number nine. We mentioned this back at the time, but I think a, a large part of that is that, like, they moved on to this run and yeah he's just sort of vanished and and it seems strange to me like i don't think it's just the cancellation because they have several scenes where Gwen goes to a hospital to visit people but she's visiting the bodega bandit and even though Harry Osborne just a few issues ago was was also hospitalized like it's like he's out now he's fine we're going to have this other other character that's tragically visiting in hospital who's been injured because of fights with Gwen's enemies so like that always seems strange to me like they never had proper closure for them they never had A panel which said, oh, hey, things got too tense and we had sort of cut it off. They didn't have anything like that.
1: They could have at least shown a panel of Harry also receiving the voicemail.
0: Yeah, like they could have done the sort of the, the flaky Gwen voicemail thing. Like that would have been in character for her, I think, to have that.
1: Alas, the only thing that we get of Harry in this run is just several mentions of him. Yeah, it's just he he
0: he gets a few mentions, but yeah, nothing nothing substantial. There isn't like I think proper closure on the relationship that they were setting up with the those two characters from Impossible Year. Um, So yeah, that's a shame. The other thing which doesn't get picked up is Manwolf because you know he's got very very personal beef with Gwen. Gwen has shut down much of his operation just by virtue of foiling bank robberies and iced and like for instance the docks in this arc, and he has bombed one of her band's gigs. And killed people, presumably, right? And she also put him in prison shortly afterwards. So, like, there's a clear personal beef there. And, like, the closure initially, right, was that Manwolf gets put in prison at the end of Impossible Year. But then, kicking off Ghost Spider number one, right? Like, he gets released, right? J. Jonah Jameson turns up and he's like, hey, you let my son out of prison. And, like, there's this is whole thing about, like, the corruption and stuff. And then, um, yeah, like, he's not shown up since that arc. Like, he's been... You know, they show him a few times out of prison, depowered and stuff. But, like...
1: I'm assuming it's because, you know, the full moon isn't out yet, so he can't really do much.
0: I mean, maybe, but his gang is active. And, like, the fact that, like... Yeah, like, they've left him a completely active villain with a very personal vendetta with Gwen. I think... Perhaps the closure that is there is that like Manwolf is afraid of Gwen because that she she did such a number on him right in that fight which put him in prison that he is no longer willing to directly attack her anymore because it just wouldn't be a pragmatic decision for his whole criminal operation right to specifically annoy Gwen again like Jackal advised him against it so it's just not getting picked up and I think that is an explanation for why he's fallen into the background a bit would make sense.
1: I think another reasonable explanation would be like since Jackal 65 died at the hands of Jackal 616, uh 65 was Jameson's supplier of the Manwolf formula, so unless if uh
0: I don't think he was actively taking it. I think he maybe like took it once and he, he gets powered up occasionally from it when the moon comes up, right? Like as a routine thing, right? Oh, yeah. I don't think he needs him all of the time for the Manwolf stuff, if that makes sense.
1: But remember that uh, Jameson was angry at Warren for the transformation not being as permanent as he wanted it to be?
0: Yeah, but like permanent in the sense that, like, half the time when the moon isn't out, that he can't, you know, he's not transformed. But then the moon comes out and then he is not in the sense that, like, he takes a dose of it once a week. I don't think that was the kind of permanence they were describing, I think.
1: Yeah, I don't know what went on in the editor's room, but yeah. anyway.
0: So, yeah, so Manwolf kind of felt into the background now this sort of ties in a bit with jackal 616 right because obviously jackal like you said jackal 65 is dead so jackal 616 is is folded into earth 65 right he comes and he has the dog days are over arc right and at the end of dog days are over he's like talking to the man wolf goons he's successfully escaped when his initial attack has failed to sort of kidnap her and turn her into another jackal person and he's saying to them take me to your leader so the implication there is the jackal 616 is going to meet it with Manwolf 65, and together they're going to do a plan and work some madness and whatever. But we don't get that either. Like, I remember reading Ghost Spider number 5 and thinking, oh, so we're going to get something next, next issue to do with Manwolf and Jackal, right? You read Ghost Spider number 6, all of that's completely dropped, right? Like, from party people, uh, we've had nothing to do with Jackal. And anything to do with Manwolf is just his goons, right? So this sort of... It felt like Impossible Year and Dog Days Are Over is sort of the two sort of first acts of what would have been sort of maybe a final culmination of a sort of combined jackal wolf effort. But we didn't get that. And I think the decision to cancel hadn't been made that we would have got that. Maybe we would have had it for this arc because the way it reads is like like somebody said to and after Ghost Spider number five, hey, the book is cancelled, <laughs> Write a final arc instead of whatever you were gonna write. And so Seanan sits down and writes the final arc of the book, which was not gonna be a Jackal and Manwolf event. It was gonna be a Storms thing. Or rather the Storms made a better excuse for going to leave. So the Manwolf whatever happened, Manwolf and Jackal got dropped after Ghost Spider Number Five in this arc, it's not picked up and then it's cancelled, so they disappear. They've gone. They, they we don't really know what's going on with them.
1: I guess you could call it I don't know, Bad Moon Rising? Oh, good Lord.
0: (laughs) Bad Moon Rising, right? Um, Or or No Moon. New Moon? I don't know. Um, Something that sounds like it could be a Twilight sequel. Um, So, like, you know, so they're gone, right? And Jackal 616, albeit, will show up again in another arc we're looking at, but very, very briefly, and not in a way which provides any substantial closure or continuation of what we're looking at here as sort of the part of the grander plan of what Maguire was trying to do with this book. So that's sort of where we're at with those two villains.
1: Also, um, it seems like that the multiverse is kind of out for Gwen in terms of making friends because, well, we got two of them, Kosei and Benji. They're just dropped after Dog Days Are Over.
0: Right, yeah. That's another thing from Dog Days Are Over, which sort of seemed like it would be continued. You've got Kosei, who's, who's being set up as either like a close friend or... Or a, or a new romantic interest for Gwen. Like, they're building up those two. They have that scene with them, but they're looking really close. It looks like their foreheads might touch. And then they don't pick that up. That the Korsae does not appear in this arc. Gwen barely goes to ESU 616, which I, I don't think is the worst thing. Um, and Benji, who uh, got transformed into that like prehistoric mammal person by the jackal in Dog Days Are Over, who's sort of implied to be dead, but in such a way that, like, she'll return, doesn't show up here. So her... Like, at least Gwen doesn't find out that she's died. At least, like, if, if she is really dead, like, Gwen doesn't have that conversation. So, Kosi and Benji, sort of Gwen's classmates from the first arc, do not show up here. So, so they are also dropped in a way where they seem like, like Dr. Zerova was doing setup for them. But again, there's no payoff for those two characters, there's no closure for them, which is also a shame, um, I think. Especially
1: um, for Benji's case since you know we don't really know if she died or if she's still alive. The only evidence that we get to see is a bloodied backpack in the dumpster belonging to her, but that's it. Yeah. Even Peter mentions Benji's absence.
0: Yeah. I think my theory is that it was gonna be like a more monstrous transformation, like the Jackal did to her was a more was a more monstrous thing. So that it would set her up to be a, a new villain for Gwen. But yeah, we didn't get that. And Benji just sort of has this very sort of just dead end fate literally. And yeah, we don't get that. And I feel like it's a shame because like Cozy and Benji were interesting parts of Earth 616 that I thought would have been yeah, I don't know. But it got dropped, so we don't we don't know what, what the plan was there.
1: Seems like the universe doesn't want Gwen to make friends yes. or at least new friends anyway.
0: Oh my days, she has such poor poor chances when it comes to making friends. Like every what's <laughs> <Once laughs> the book getting cancelled or they get turned into supervillains or, or um, whatever.
1: Maybe she should take a hint from... What's the name of that book? How to Make Friends and Influence People. Maybe. Yeah, I, I just... Yeah, she's she's having a hard time of it. There's also... Um, the original antagonist for this arc was supposed to be the Maker.
0: Yeah, so the Maker is actually solicited. There are multiple solicits that you can find for like Ghost Spiders 7 to 9, which reference the Maker. And the Maker's plans for Gwen. And you have two scenes... In Party People, we have the maker that we've read in our synopsis, where he's looking at Gwen, and he's looking at what what she's doing, he's twirling his mustache and saying, my plans, etc, etc. And nothing, nothing comes of it, right? The maker, even though he is in this arc, even though he shows up, even though he is solicited to do more stuff than he actually does in the interior pages, it's a complete dead end. Like, there is... It's very, very confusing. And uh, yeah, like, it's so strange to me that they would have. It's not just a change. Like, the other stuff we've just mentioned, that's pivots that have happened between arcs. That's clear editorial changes that have happened after an arc is closed. And they've said, okay, we're going to go in this direction, or the book's being canceled, so we're going to do that. But the stuff with the maker happened mid arc. It happened after they'd already published two issues with the maker in, and they then decided to not use the maker in-the-party-people-ghost-spider-arc. They got too into issues using the villain and then stopped him.
1: I find that odd since, you know, because Donny Cates, who was using at the Maker at the time of writing Venom, he and Seanan have the same editor, Devin Lewis. You would think that um there would be some communication going on between them just to make sure they don't step on each other's toes. Yeah, and you'd hope so, but that
0: does seem to be what happened, right? Like, it seems that um both Maguire and Cates wanted to use the Maker. Obviously, Donny Cates has been using the maker for longer right in his venom run the maker has been showing up as a recurring side character slash antagonist and i think that's a very cool use of the maker but i don't think Maguire is necessarily conflicted with that or at least i don't know we don't know what she was planning but either way she planned it and i don't know if it was alluding to the maker exactly but you can find tweets from shauna Maguire reflecting um she did a twitter thread reflecting on uh, her time writing ghost spider and she mentions wanting to use an antagonist in one arc and not being able to because somebody else had called dibs on the character. And I have to presume that the chances are that was probably the maker. And she also talks about having to rework her arc after this happened. So I think that was the maker. I think there were other villains here, obviously, that also got dropped that, you know, maybe, but the maker seems to be the likely candidate. Um, and that whole thing where the maker ends up back on the Ultimate Universe in the Kate's run, perhaps was the thing that stopped Maguire from being able to use him?
1: In my head, I always thought that um, the Maker's relevance to Gwen is because back in Venom, the Maker was researching symbiotes because all he wanted to do was uh, go home. And the uh, symbiote he ended up to use to go home was the Ultimate Universe's symbiote, which is also an artificial one. I was wondering if he also took an interest in Gwen's own artificial symbiote. Well, for all intents and purposes, I'm saying artificial, even though it's quite eh.
0: I would say it's a hybrid origin. I would say it's um, obviously there's an artificial component to it, um, but it's still ultimately created from organic matter and from the actual DNA of alien spiders. So it's sort of, you know, it's a lab origin symbiote, but it's still, you know, like organic in nature. It's still extraterrestrial.
1: I don't know what the proper term for half-artificial, half-organic is, but... Yeah. Well, I mean, it's definitely
0: a lot more organic than the Ultimate Universe Symbiote, which was created in a lab as a way of curing cancer. And there's no alien planet that it's related to. There's no moon spiders or anything like that. It's something that Peter Parker's dad made, <laughs> weirdly.
1: I'm just guessing that um, when Gwen started attending ESU... And with her own symbiote, that's when she started showing up on the maker's radar.
0: Yeah, um, I, I sort of think that, yeah, no, and it would make sense that like if the maker is tracking different symbiote users across the, the multiverse is trying to find symbiote secrets to tracking his way home back to Earth 1610 or rebirthing it or whatever, you know, that would make sense. And I, I think it, it, it made sense for the maker to show up in Gwen's comics. Um, but you know, that that just gets dropped like mid arc. The solicits for these issues do not match what happens in them because they solicit the maker being a present force in it and he's not in it. Which is just it's it's infuriating. It was it was so strange at the time because of the dissonance between what the arc was setting up, what the solicits was saying, and what what actually happens in
1: it. But I still like how um, Donny handled the Maker, you know, dropping him home only just to see it destroyed, and then teasing a return of Earth sixteen ten.
0: Yeah, no, oh, absolutely. I, I I do think Kate's used the Maker really well. Um, but part of me really, really wants to see like an like a dark version of the Fantastic Four. That's like Gwen, the Maker, and the Storm siblings. Um, I think, yeah, that would be pretty cool. But
1: I guess. So, like, would Gwen be standing in for the thing just because Ben Grimm's a cop?
0: Yeah, is the brute force of the group, right? Like, Sue would still be the Invisible Woman, and Johnny Storm would still be the Human Torch, and the Maker would still be Reed. They still sort of have the power sets that line up there, but Gwen is still like the physical presence, the fighter, you know, like the... At least in terms of power sets anyway. I I think they would definitely be a lot more um, like cerebral, like Sue. And I would imagine that Sue 65 and Reed 1610 would compete for power, maybe, if they were in the same group or faction or whatever. Because they're both pretty type A personality, villainous people like that, you know?
1: I'm just wondering if Maker would actually try to propose to this version of Sue, because remember, his Sue... Uh, rejected his proposal but since they're both similar in terms of personality well 65 sue and maker i think it would just be out of narcissism
0: evil power couple yeah no i i I mean i i was thinking about this like that would be i'd love that like a dark fantastic four yeah I, i think that'd be really fun but yeah um that's just me head cannoning a thing, but they did sort of throw, like, I don't think it was a coincidence that McGuire was bringing in the maker 1610 and then going for the storm siblings of earth 65 at the same time. I don't think it was a coincidence that she introduced those characters in the same arc as each other. Um, I, I think that was a deliberate action and that she did sort of want to make moves towards at least having those characters interact in some way, whether or not they fought or teamed up or whatever, like some kind of interaction between them. But we never got that so
1: yeah so I guess seeing an evil version of the fantastic four would we'll probably have to wait another day
0: yeah yeah no I I yeah I suppose I think like what cool new status quo could they do for Gwen one day and that was one of them but yeah I guess I guess we'll see um but yeah uh what's uh what's next on here um
1: Peter and outlawed
0: yeah so they're setting up the Outlawed event in is it ghost spider in a bit Eight? Eight. Number eight, yeah, number eight, right? So what they're doing here in this conversation with Pete and Gwen is they are referencing something from the Champions comics and Outlawed and and such where anybody under the age of 21, which does include Gwen because she's, what, 20 most likely.
1: Yeah, she's got to be 20 because she was 19 at the beginning of Latour's run. Her trial was six months and she spent a year in prison. She's got to be 20 and probably turning 21 soon.
0: Yeah, I've always been a bit shocked by the amount of people online who are, like, disagreeing with this. Like, they were like, Gwen is older than 21. And, like, it's not just here. Like, Gwen has always sort of been around this age. She's she's always been, like, college age, but not well into her 20s by any means. Like, she absolutely, you know, would be at sort of 1920, you know, whatever age the floating timeline will leave her come this next decade or whatever. But no,
1: she's got to be 20.
0: Yeah so she's got to be 20 right and at this point like it, it pretty much confirms it right that she can't drink she she can't superhero because she's under the age of 21 so they sort of confirm that here and they have this whole interaction which I think is really fun I love it like cuz cuz you know you you can't disagree with either Gwen or Pete Um, actually I I think I disagree a bit with Pete but like there's a good you you at least understand their motivations right like they don't seem out of character it doesn't seem like a a misunderstanding or anything like it seems like two people who are genuinely disagreeing with each other over this thing and often you don't get that with a lot of superhero stuff a lot of the time it's really really dumb when you have superheroes fighting each other but I do think they managed to sort of pull it off quite well here and you know I would have been really down for like a proper ghost spider versus spider man fight in some fashion
1: maybe even a Gwenum versus spider man
0: yeah I mean that would have been that would have been sick and or at least seeing Gwen fight Outlawed and fight Cradle, like, you know, that's totally up her alley. Fighting cops, right? Like, you know, that would be like old school Spider Gwen comics, right? And it may be a bit truer to the character, but yeah, like, um, they put the Outlawed imprint on Ghost Spider number 10. Like, it seemed like they would be returning to it, maybe having a couple of tying issues, but then they actually took the imprint off after they solicited it. So I presume there was even more reworking for that issue. So the Outlawed event and Gwen's rock here, standing with Peter, are dropped from Gwen's status quo. The Outlawed event has ended. And any interactions between Pete and Gwen, which have occurred in the Amazing Spider-Man run, have not referenced this conversation. Um, so it has been completely dropped. It is. It has been lost to wherever. Like, those scripts are dead in the water. And, and I, I just mourn what could have been. I would have been really interested to see what happened there.
1: But you know, anyway, shit happens. That's what COVID did. So
0: yeah, well, I COVID and editorial decisions, and yeah, I, I guess yeah. So um, it's sort of the last thing here that sort of happens is that we have Sue and Johnny Storm, who clearly have plans to take over New York, right? Like, like, or at least become like really dominant over it. Um,
1: like, do you think that they would have been um, if we got more of them? kind of like a police state sort of thing like they command everything.
0: Yeah, like that's the sort of vibe you get from a lot of this. Like that New York is, you know, regardless of what Gwen is going to do, is going to turn against her um or at least as far as like the police and stuff is concerned, especially with stuff like Manwolf getting released, that things are sort of headed in a dark direction. You've you've I think overall over the course of the four arcs that we've had during the Maguire and so far, it feels like Gwen has really, really been trying to, to conform, to assimilate, to sort of fit in and, and sort of establish a practical existence for herself where she can go to school and she can uh, make sure she she has her bills paid and so she can still superhero and fight crime and so that she can still beat supervillains and and try as she might, she gets beaten back sometimes. But overall, she's sort of made a, a marginal success of it. But this sort of, I think here, represents the defeat of that, that, that ultimately her standing isn't strong enough on Earth-65 to continue doing that. And so the only option she's left with is either to live outlawed on earth 65 or to leave um, and she choose the latter here so that she doesn't
1: Yeah, because yeah, sue threatened to kill her friends and family because her whole attitude was like uh you need to leave because we're the prettier people here and we have the most social media following you're a felon get out of here
0: yeah and the thing is like I've quite find this quite interesting that Gwen is now canonically average looking <laughs> on Earth sixty five. Gwen is canonically not as pretty as these social media influences. So I thought that was
1: remember even the um, quote that she gives to Sue is um, I think it's along the line of "You are seriously telling me not to be a superhero in my own hometown because you are prettier than me."
0: Right, like yeah, it's um, but it's you know like it's a legit weapon or at least thing that Sue can weaponize against Gwen here is that because Gwen is this sort of more average ex-con that with a public identity, right? Like her friends, her family are out there living their lives and can be hurt by Sue and Johnny. And Sue makes her ability to, and desire to kill very clear in this scene to Gwen that really like Gwen is very much outmaneuvered. And I think any villain powerful enough is essentially able to do this, right? Like if they are able to physically beat Gwen, they can just get rid of her because she has her whole family, all her friends out there that she's got to protect and look after. And yeah, like it's just, it's a, I think that's ultimately like, right. That's the consequences of public identity. If a supervillain comes along that can beat you in a fight, then you can't stop them from getting to your family. And um, yeah, like that's yeah, rough. And this is the consequence that Gwen has to leave. And they leave that status quo in place, right? Like they haven't picked this up. They haven't gone back to Earth 65, Particularly, they've mentioned stuff which has happened on it, but nothing to counter this narrative that Johnny and Sue are very much now in control of the situation and Gwen doesn't really have... Like, whatever plan she has at the end of the year that she references, she does not go back to Earth-65, so that's that. Like, you know, it just sucks.
1: Like, uh, would you think that they would act as benevolent on the surface or do you think they're just really acting like dictators? I don't know. I, I mean, the way I see it right is Sue
0: Storm is the Dr. Doom of Earth-65, right? She has killed Dr. Doom, or at least put him in a dungeon somewhere, taken his armor, she's gone around wearing his cloak at least, and, like, people don't know about this. Like, nobody's saying, oh, hey, Dr. Doom is dead in Latveria. The real Dr. Doom is dead, Johnny, burned the body. Oh, right, of course, yeah. So they've done this discreetly. So it's, in my head, it's entirely possible When reading this, that Sue and Johnny are like remotely running the country of Latveria, like it's entirely within the realm of possibility with what they've set up here. I don't know if that was intentional, but at least Sue wants to have like a level of like, she talks about wanting to rule the world, right? Like, or rule the city rather. And like, she has that whole sort of spiel. And she wants to do it sort of by influencing the minds and hearts of people. And obviously, I imagine they'd be a lot softer and nicer and benevolent, like you say, with it. But one would presume over time that that they would, once they've cemented their position, become more dictatorial if they did get any position of power. But whatever happens, like the way that Gwen talks quite optimistically about their ability to defend New York 65 from supervillains and crime and whatever... I don't think it would turn out like that. I think it would be that there are much darker consequences here because Gwen is essentially ceding the entire city to these two people who, you know, they say they want to be superheroes, but are acting very villainously. And yeah, I think that ultimately what would have happened if there had been more ghost spider books is that Gwen would have returned to New York, faced whatever new dystopia was in front of her and more meaningfully set up some kind of resistance to
1: But that's going to be wishful thinking.
0: (laughs) Yeah, which I I think would still be on the books, right? If they do a new ghost spider book that properly picked up this run, I think the first thing they have to tackle, right, is putting her back on Earth-65 and fighting the Storm siblings. I don't think there's a way around that unless they just completely glossed past it, which is also possible, I suppose. But if, if they did want to meaningfully continue this, you know, this version of ghost spider, this run, it would be with whatever the storm siblings have done in Earth 65 in New York and stuff and how they've blackmailed Gwen and how Gwen has to tackle that and whatever plan she's got to beating them. So yeah, like uh, honestly, she could, she could just come back with Jessica Drew and Cindy Moon and Peter Parker and whatever and Miles Morales and like, you know, just sort of have a big team fight them. But I, I don't know. I guess we'll see. And, but yeah, I do think any new solo outing for ghost spider that puts her back in a 65 has to tackle this particular point of Sue and Johnny storm. I could see stuff like Jackal and the maker and Kose and Benji and Harry Osborne, man, and all of that. And Outlaw especially all of that could fall by the wayside, I think. But this last point, They make a really big point of that Gwen has ceded New York to Sue and Johnny. That'd have
1: to get picked up. Surely, right? You hear that, Spidey office? Can you give us a line? Yes, please. Yeah. Um, But I think that, does that
0: wrap up all of the stuff that got dropped from the Maguire era?
1: Unless if there's something that we're um, unexpectedly missing, I think that's pretty much every dropped plot thread.
0: Yeah, so that's every drop plot thread from the Maguire era. That is uh, the characters of Harry Osborne, Kosei and Benji from ESU 616, Manuel 65 and Jackal 616 and whatever plan. They would have had um, the maker and whatever. He was planning Peter and the strange relationship there and outlawed. And well, as Sue and Johnny's dominance over Earth 65. Like, those are the plot threads and characters that are sort of left dangling following Ghost Spider number 10 that are never meaningfully picked up again, even by Gwen and vs. Carnage, which is a direct lead on from here. Those things sort of remain without closure.
1: When we see the announcement of a new Ghost Spider book, we're hoping that it at least picks up, uh, I'm just gonna say, at least three of these drop- plot threads. I hope so. I just,
0: yeah, I think it's entirely possible because it has been so long that they could just forget about this and gloss past it and sort of do something that's maybe like closer to the Into the Spider Verse version of Gwen or whatever. But I hope that they look at this and they want to meaningfully continue it because if not, that means that, like, of this character, which has only had what, like 60 something issues of comics, that 20 to 25 of them don't matter. It's a catastrophic loss for a character so new, I think. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, she's had 63 issues if you want to count and versus Carnage. Yeah, so 63
0: issues, right. And if you think a third of that, you could just say, oh yeah, they didn't finish that run, and when they picked it up again, they didn't do anything with it. Like, if that is how they treat this character, that is bad for it. Like, the pivots that they make with this character, while it's new, is going to be... It can really hurt the comic. You know, I think it's really important that they continue to build on what has been built on here because, you know, that's just, you know, important. And there's some stuff that like I don't understand a change in direction on, like, you know, Gwen's status quo with the police or whatever. But in terms of actually just acknowledging what has happened here, I think I think whatever new comic comes along should absolutely do that. Shouldn't gloss past this.
1: But I am becoming convinced that they might announce something for next month, because next month marks one year since the announcement of Gwen versus Carnage. So Yeah, I'm just thinking, you know, coincidence, I think not.
0: I hope they announce something. Every month I hope they announce something. (laughs) Whether the stuff came in early this month, I was like, yes. And then I was like, no. And it's like, I can't even look forward to Marvel's list anymore because I just know that it's going to be another disappointment, that we're not going to get another ghost spider ongoing. So it's like, uh, yeah,
1: it's not fun. I'm just going to keep up my chanting to Null and hope that it works for next month. Let's hope. Let's hope. So, should we move into our thoughts about party people?
0: Yeah, let's do it. So, um, Ghost Spider Party People, more than any other arc in the and Maguire run, has a lot of symbiote stuff. It has, there's a lot of like, and it's mostly like an aesthetic thing, it's like a visual thing that's happening on panel. It's not necessarily something that's mentioned in the dialogue, really. But Gwen is Gwenaming out, like in three or four different scenes, she is just unhappy with things. <laughs>
1: I think this is just becoming reflective of her being more irritable after Outlawed and stuff.
0: Yeah, like she's she's literally emoing out. She's putting on an emo costume when she's feeling angsty, right? Like she even has darker makeup when she switches into her plain clothes versions, which I always thought was quite funny.
1: And the way that um, Guara also draws the symbiote, wisping and transforming into her regular clothes or to her costume. Yeah, that's what it should look like.
0: Oh, absolutely. And, and like, I think Iguara has probably done the visual style of the Earth 65 symbiote and the sort of the different ways it gets caught between like being plain clothes, being a superhero outfit, being the Gwennam outfit, all of that really, really well, more than any other artist he's worked on on this, but more than Maya's out, more than Flaviano even, who I really liked. And that really comes through in this arc. There's lots of scenes where it's sort of just like, it's a little tendril. Sometimes it's like the hood comes up. There's a few scenes where like, her, she's in her regular outfit, but the hood has gone spiky. Like it's the Gwen look. And I thought that was interesting. But overall, like you say, it's representative of Gwen being more irritable. Uh, it's directly correlated to basically scenes where people are telling her what to do. Which is, yeah, um, <laughs> bad. Um, but yeah, I, I think part of this was warming up to maybe more Gwenham stuff. Which we did get.
1: Like, even the solicits were teasing Gwennem. One of them said something sinister happening in the Marvel Universe, something gwennem I thought that was just tying into, you know, Null's impending arrival.
0: Yeah, like... Part of me wonders whether or not they were they were heading to a maybe another Guanam arc where Gwen gets outlawed on Six One Six and is kicked out of Earth Sixty Five, so she's going around in her Guanem look, having a sort of a, like a black suit arc, right? I think maybe maybe that was sort of the direction they were warming up to with this sort of Guanem stuff here. But yeah, like it's and, and it gets mentioned in some of the solicits which you're talking about, like again stuff which just doesn't happen in the comic, like a multiversal band tour and all that. But yeah, like. um Yeah, it just doesn't sort of happen, which is a shame, really, I think, because the way that Gwen is getting used here is like, perfect, like, this is, like, as a compliment to Gwen's character and Gwen's decisions, you know, it's not like some outside force controlling her or anything, it is, you know, it's just reflective of her emotional state, and I think it's a very visually compelling way of doing that. I I, Yeah, again, like, I, I remember... As you know, even with all the shenanigans happening with solicits and like the cancellations and, and the weird pivot from Dog Days Are Over, I remember reading these issues and just being excited for the direction of the comic, like looking forward to where they were going to take the character. Because by having like these subtle, subtle things they're bringing in, right, it felt like they were warming up to sort of something bigger.
1: But I do appreciate that they're using more of her symbiote, other than just to change clothes. You know, she's using them to attack. You know, like those serrated tendrils directed towards Sue, or 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 even when the symbiote fills her lungs to breathe when Sue tries to suffocate her. Oh, absolutely! Ghost Spider number
0: ten's fight between Gwen and the Storm siblings is possibly one of the best fights in Spider-Gwen Ghost Spider comics, the the way it's using the symbiote in each of these the, the different things, the way that Gwen goes from wearing normal standard Spider-Gwen costume to then having the Gwenom costume over the course of the fight as she gets angry and as she gets beaten down more. Very cool. And it's done really well. This is probably one of the best fights we've had. And it makes me sad that Maguire didn't start using the symbiote in fights earlier on because she comes up with some really inventive ways to have it work in this fight, like the way that Gwen moves through the positioning of like the different fighters and the way they're different they're using the powers in the fight, it flows really well. And yeah, just, it's solid. It's, it's really, it's good stuff. It's really good stuff.
1: Yeah. She would be a really great fit for the other symbiote heroes on earth 616 if they wanted to uh, use more of that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. No, that, that certainly would work, but Yeah. It felt like they finally embraced Gwen at the last moment when it was too late, honestly. That's sort of, it's how it feels reading this. is like, oh my days, this is like, it got really good and then it ends and it's like, <laughs> what a shame. Um, but yeah, like Gwen takes on an increasingly sort of going back to the why she's Gwenaming out more. I think she's sort of taking on more of an anti-establishment position as she sort of has pete and 616 and the cops and stuff like sort of people just sort of coming out against her because at this point like she is doing everything right right like she isn't doing anything wrong and yet she still has all these people who just sort of out to stop her really even her father he he keeps having these conversations with her which i think are written really well where he's showing legit concern but he's doing it like in this way where he's sort of like maybe you shouldn't maybe you shouldn't do the superhero stuff and she's like you know what I'm really trying out here. Please stop asking me to do that. And it's, uh, yeah, it's a good dynamic, I think. And, and it, the tension that builds up to Ghost Spider number 10 and in Ghost Spider number 10, of course, feels palpable in the pages. You are like, you are reading it and you're wanting to see how it boils over, what exactly is going to happen.
1: So would you say that, you know, she's becoming, especially because of the guanuming out, less Jekyll, she's becoming Miss Hyde?
0: right exactly like that's the sort of direction you get from it like it's sort of a general fatigue with having to sort of be good and have to sort of perform all of these different roles and then still losing out at the end of it like that just it must be a really sucky situation to be in for her and 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 yeah like very relatable ghost spider sort of content of of having to juggle different identities and responsibilities and stuff but, but then still losing at the end of it um yeah, like, it's it's good stuff.
1: Even when uh, she was departing for 616, she was still in her Gwenham costume. Do you think that was just because she was still irritable?
0: You know, like, I remember reading that and thinking, oh, does this mean that the next time we see her, she's going to be Gwennam'd out, right? Like, is this, like, she's just decided, you know what? It's a good look. I'm sticking with it. Like, and that's honestly sort of the way I read that. Like, that she had sort of become so fed up with presenting... The Spider Gwen image that she was going to go with more of the Gwenum look. Um, and that would have been a sort of I think, a natural fit for what they were doing here. But the next time she shows up, it's Slash Remains, and of course she's back in her normal outfit. Um, and even Gwenum versus Carnage, she starts out the first issue mostly in her Spider Gwen costume. So what's up with that? But she's slowly
1: transforming into Gwenum.
0: Yeah, but like against her will, like it's a thing that's happening in that because of Null's effect, that's not her choice. And and I thought it was strange, like, so I think in Gwennam versus Carnage, they could have gone right into that with her in the Gwennam look. I think in Last Remains, they should have gone right into it with the Gwennam look. And it would have had a uniformity, like it would have been a visual acknowledgement of, again, like, I think this is the beauty of the Gwennam look and the symbiote stuff in general in that it's a way of showing Gwen's sort of state in a way that is very obvious to the reader without having to get people to just sort of say it out loud. But yeah, we didn't get that.
1: Maybe it's just the effect of being in Peter's circle. If she decided to join Eddie or Dylan's circle, that's when she can actually embrace being Gwenum.
0: Yeah, like, I think there would have been a visual uniformity in that, which made sense, like, to have Gwen Gwenomed out next to Spider-Woman and... And Miles Morales and all of, and and all of that team would have been strange in a way that it wouldn't have been if if it were a symbiote team. But but you know even then I just I do think they should have as a way of maintaining continuity with this had Gwen and the Gwenum look throughout her subsequent appearances, and not just because of all these reasons I'm saying. Honestly, it just looks really cool. It's a really good look. I I love I love the Gwenum look like and I love the original Spider Gwen look a lot, but I love the Gwenum look even more. It's just so good and. Yeah, it's, that's just my personal bias and agenda there is, is really just to have more of Gwen because it's, it's 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 so cool. It's such a good design. I just I, it's so good.
1: Yeah. Is there still more to talk about Gwen right now or
0: Um Yeah, I thought it was uh just just with the conclusion of it, like so her new status quo now and it remains so is that she is exiled to six one six, she is focusing on her studies, um she only really superheroes up for team up and big events, and she isn't actively being a superhero. She is just studying at ESU 616, taking full advantage of that Stark scholarship. But that is Gwen's new status quo. And I think that's her sort of seeding, not just to the Storm siblings, but also to her father's advice of just sort of concentrating on improving herself, which I, I think there's some interesting characterizations to draw from that. And I'll be interested to see what they do when they bring Ghost Spider back. I hope if they bring Ghost Spider back to draw from,
1: Maybe next month we'll hear something. <laughs> <laughs> maybe next month we've been saying maybe next month every month. Would you settle for a non-canonical appearance, like in say Dark Ages? Uh,
0: no, I, the Dark a Dark Ages appearance wouldn't do it for me. I'm afraid that's um, Dark Ages is a you know it's good, but like in terms of giving closure on this stuff, I, I don't think it could ever or ever deliver or
1: hypothetically. She just happens to show up in the last page of Extreme Carnage Omega as some sort of post-credits scene or something. Yeah, that'd be fun.
0: Yeah, you know, a- anything along those lines, I think, would be would be interesting. I'm interested to see what, uh, what happens with the upcoming Venom book. Um, one of the things which has come out from it is that, you know, while Eddie Brock is off in space doing cosmic stuff, the book is kind of split between him and Dylan staying on Earth, being Earth's protector, which would give him plenty of space to be roaming the same streets that Gwen is so I don't know maybe she's in that I just I'd any anything anything which would give any amount of closure to anything that is set up in this arc would just make me happy I it's it's all I really want from Marvel is to not just leave stuff unfinished like if they decided to just end this ongoing as it was and say this is this is the end of Gwen for a bit in comics. We're gonna we're gonna let her rest until Into the Spider-Verse number two comes out and uh, and we've we've got a you know, we've got a mandate to do it again. Like I would have been okay with that, but they didn't do that. They cancelled Ghost Spider after messing the writer about for what like three or four arcs and did it in such a way that there are all of these tangling plot threads. And it actually remains unclear what moral alignment the character is and, and, and her relationship with the people around her and 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 the actual state of Earth sixty-five is unknown. Um like there's there's no closure in it. And I think if there had been closure, it would have been a lot more easier to deal with. We wouldn't be dying for a solicit every month. We'd have been like, Yeah, it'll be okay, but it's not, because we, we this character's got all this unfinished stuff. And I think, yeah, that's I just that's what I want is more Gwen enclosure on this stuff specifically
1: yeah i'm just gonna keep chanting to null packs you just keep chanting to master weaver because that's who you were assigned yeah master
0: weaver please
1: okay so let's actually move on to sue storm next because she actually has quite a lot to unload sue storm's good i, I you know i mentioned it
0: earlier that she is dr doom of this earth and yeah, very fun character. And and the fact that she's the more evil one of the two, I thought that was interesting. That Johnny is more, um he's he's more idealistic. He's more uh you know, we're superheroes, right? Maybe, possibly. Sue I don't think has that. Sue is very okay with killing and the murder and the usurping of power. She's that's her whole shtick in this. And I think that's a really fun dynamic for for that character.
1: Yeah, and what I put here, like if any of you uh, Ghost Spider fans did their homework, then you'll know that back in the Latour run, the whole Storm family was a family of actors. But I'm like in my head, I was just thinking that Maguire just added to their history, not necessarily retconning them into being models. You know,
0: I I was look. I, I mean, it's a single panel, right? Like it's an Easter egg type thing. From the Spider Women event where they, they, they have a magazine which advertises the fantastic storm family or whatever, right?
1: Like they could have said that um that was just an old magazine. I think that's the only logical thing I can think of. Maybe, but like if it's a magazine in a magazine stand, then like the presumption
0: would be it's new. I I'd, it's done or maybe it's like actually you know it's advertising a sitcom but actually maybe that's just part of it like it's actually a horror thing um and the sitcom aesthetic is just like a way of concealing the darkness of it like that's a stylistic choice i don't know but it it gets so meta but but in my head like the fact is that is a single panel you know like and for Maguire to be beholden to whatever Latoura Bengal's whims were when they when they made that instead of being able to go do her own thing with the storms i think would be unfair so if it does contradict then i'm deferring to Maguire's version of the storms Rather than whatever Latour and Bengal were doing with that single panel, that's just my opinion on it. Like I think what we've got here is much more expansive, it's much more fleshed out. We've got flashbacks. we've we've got confirmation, we've got dialogue with characterizations, which which I think just gives this precedence, even though it has been created after the fact.
1: But you know, if they were actors as children, it would make much sense. That's why they were able to keep up this ruse. They're just reusing their acting techniques.
0: Maybe, but um, the thing that's sort of emphasized here is that like normal child actors have agents and stuff. Part of the reason they become social media influencers specifically is because that was easier and they didn't need to bring in all of the sort of periphery that comes with the child acting industry. So like, I think it was specifically to emphasize how social media is more exploitative because it doesn't have stuff that maybe like acting or or normal modeling would have because it's a social media thing because it's just like, it's something that Mary Storm is doing. And she's just like uploading footage of her kids to make money on the internet that, that there isn't things like what you'd have for acting, you know, like if you're a child actor, you, you know, you're, you have an agent, you have all this extra stuff of labor laws and all that, which you don't really have necessarily for social media influences. And I think that was a lot of this and the way they use these characters is it's essentially, it's a critique of exploitative child labor, um, essentially using your kids to make money online
1: yeah yeah mary practically pimped out her kids just for her own gain
0: right like it's awful like when you consider it and and i realize like the murder of mary storm is this terrible moment in this comic but at the same time it's very much it does feel like abused people <laughs> essentially taking out their
1: abuser um that's
0: that's how i read it
1: I even put in the notes that Mary acts similar to MCU Dorothy Walker. Um, Dorothy Walker being from? Jessica Jones, you know, Trish's mom. Ah, uh, right. I haven't seen... I haven't seen that. But have you watched season one, though? I haven't seen any Jessica Jones, actually. Oh, Because basically the story behind, you know, Trish's mom is that... um The whole backstory about Trish is that... Like, how she got into acting in the first place and how her mother's her agent is that... Like uh, when Trish was young, her father went to prison and then Dorothy and Trish were driven to the point of poverty because they had to sell everything they had just to get by. So what Dorothy came up with was to get Trish into acting just so she can get some money. Right. Right. I see. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. No, it's got that sort of yeah,
0: like because obviously there's an element of desperation in that in Mary Storm being driven to this because of what Franklin did, because he was obviously a much worse person, a serial killer. And yeah, like, I, I see how that sort of that maps on there. That makes sense.
1: Yeah. And Dorothy practically just pimped out Trish.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. And, and uh, yeah, no, I, 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 yeah, I see that.
1: Yeah. And so like, Mary Storm is
0: just no good in this. And and like, the, even the way she shows up, like the idea that like, she's actually, she's even calling the paparazzi on her own children, to generate social media buzz so she can make more money off them even when they are like adults who have been missing for five years which just feels bad like she is established as being a pretty morally reprehensible person in all of her characterizations here.
1: Did you catch that little tidbit that um she used to be one of Murdoch's clients?
0: Yeah I did I I thought that was interesting like Is that all she was involved with doing is the social media stuff? Like if Murdoch was her lawyer, was she doing anything with the hand? You know, like I thought that
1: was, I thought that was cool. Like maybe that's where some of her money came from. I don't know.
0: Maybe. Yeah. I think it was just to sort of establish that she is, you know, she has the vibe of sort of a corrupt person, like what Murdoch was. That was sort of that she comes from the same mold. That was sort of the. What I took that for wasn't necessarily that she had done anything explicitly wrong, just rather that she was hanging out with this person who was also a
1: villain, you know? Yeah. And uh, I'm just wondering, um, like, should we get back to Sue? Because we just went off on her mother.
0: Yeah. um, She suits up in the Doctor Doom armor once, but I have to presume that like Sue's final form, when she's fully realized in the future or whatever would involve the armor again she would look like a sort of a dr doom type person
1: you mean incorporate some of his armor onto her costume because she already incorporated the cloak
0: yeah she's got the cloak so like
1: maybe like when she
0: comes to power she starts wearing the armor as well i don't know but the impression i got was that she would get dr
1: Doomier with (laughs) with time um right like um because remember that doom uses magic maybe if she decides to use magic one day
0: yeah like make her um yeah and, and also i think like i'd be interested to see her as a more cerebral villain over time as well like she's not just like a powerhouse because obviously she's super powerful like she's really like the invisible woman even on 616 is is really really powerful so uh, it's obviously like uh, like the physical aspect, but like Sue Storm is usually very very intelligent, right? And while here she's not super into science, she's done all these like political machinations and like various uh, like usurping Doctor Doom or whatever. That maybe she's more of a, sort of a maniacal, I don't know, more like more, more of a manipulative type uh, villain. She's a
1: tyrant, basically, what she is.
0: Well, I mean, she yeah. Well, at least she wants to be like she wants to be Doctor Doom, right? Which you know. More power to her, you know.
1: And I think this is where I come in with my Clay McLeod Chapman agenda of horror villains. All oh, right, okay. Because Sue's the Invisible Woman. Well, even though she's not explicitly named, so she is the Invisible Woman. There's an Invisible Man in horror. Bam, horror. I see the connection. I do think that,
0: like, you know, because obviously it's a pretty direct confrontation that we have, and we don't actually see her go invisible, but they could do scenes like that where they show her, like, because presumably she does have invisibility powers, that she could do some scenes where she goes invisible, and and that would be pretty scary.
1: I think when they materialize in the middle of New York, I guess that they could have been using her invisibility.
0: That would make sense. I kept wondering how they did that. But, yeah, that would make sense. So, yeah, like, I think absolutely anything more with a character i think she'd just get darker whether it was uh like scarier stuff with her invisibility or whether uh, she'd become dr doomier or, or anything to that sort of effect i think she sort of i think she'd go more in that direction uh one of the things from the flashback is that she seemed like she was very much in on it in the initial flashback she seems like i don't know what that very is but by the time she's in there she's sort of the way she talks with dr doom like he's clearly got some prior knowledge she's clearly signed up for this she's consenting to the whole situation where she gets superpowers and johnny seems a little bit more out of the loop but sue definitely seems in on it in a more substantial way which i think is sort of part of her whole thing here
1: either way i'm counting sue as a horror villain that's villain three or four of my agenda okay all right nice one johnny is uh johnny's
0: less less horrific would say it right
1: yeah, and I kind of find that funny with my whole horror agenda, because, you know, monsters are afraid of, well, monsters and other horror figures are afraid of fire.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'd be interested to see whether or not Johnny would always, like, sort of, sub- like, defer to Sue, right? Like, he he's obviously, like, following her direction. Like, there's this whole spiel about wolves, you know, and stuff in their transformation thing. And Sue's clearly the more willing participant. Johnny just sort of goes along with what she's doing. Uh, he's clearly not like not a good person. Like he's willing to kill his mother and he's, you know, willing to at least blackmail Gwen. So yeah, he's not a great person, but he's definitely not at the level that Sue is.
1: No, I think that's just, you know, um, cause wait, were they established as twins or is it just an older sister, younger brother? I I actually what
0: are they in the M, um the MCU 616 Yeah what are they in in main continuity
1: older sister younger brother
0: Okay all right well maybe they are that here I I um I don't know they, they're pretty close in age either way but yeah like but by and large it feels like he's just deferring to Sue at every opportunity the first time he stands up to her isn't even in a like a substantial way either either it's just sort of Maybe we shouldn't kill. Maybe it's not a great idea. And he's kind of, you know, he's kind of sheepish about it. So
1: Yeah, he's supposed to serve as Sue's conscience. Like, not Jiminy Cricket, but, you know, just have her be less murdery. Yeah,
0: that's the, that's the vibe I got. I do feel bad for him. I don't think it's a good situation for him. They have that one characterization when they've sort of rematerialized and they're talking with Captain Stacy, where he does the whole thing with the the coffee and he's scolding but like Sue like tells him off by hitting him and that seemed pretty harsh and sort of verging well is sort of is abusive I would say to hit somebody for something like that to tell them off like not great and yeah I think it's a bad situation for him I think he's being led along by Sue in a lot of things and I would imagine that with further development that like Johnny is either going to keep getting exploited and used by Sue um, or would Split from her in some way
1: Yeah, I could see Johnny defecting from Sue Mid-fight redemption Redemption or he feels like enough's enough Yeah,
0: like I think that's the sort of direction They were taking those two in That there's a tension there That belies a lot of their interactions
1: Is that pretty much it for the storms?
0: That's our storm siblings That's the coming storm That's the ongoing storm even
1: (laughs) The name of this episode is going to be called Storms a Bruin. Oh really? Okay, nice one um. Okay. Um, who's Who's next? Um. Is there still something to talk about, Peter?
0: Yeah, he's he's a bit of a cop here. I'm not gonna lie. He's he's saying some stuff, and it's very sort of you know maybe Cradle is right, and it's not great. And um, yeah, I think he's uh he's not in the right here. I mean, I, I get where he's coming from with it, but
1: he's kind of like I'm not saying that I agree with Cradle, but. I'd be willing to be your sponsor if you're gonna superhero here.
0: Yeah, I thought I thought the sponsor thing was nice, like I, you know, but we didn't we do not we don't get that. But like the thing is, is like when it's the law, right? Like the non position that I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing is it may as well be support for it because like without op- outright opposition, it's it's essentially it's a tacit endorsement, and it does sort of feel like that. And you can you can see that Gwen sees that and calls him out for it, calls him like the legal superhero. Calls him out for essentially because this law would have outlawed him when he was younger. So yeah, I think it sort of does make sense that he would still be cautious, and sort of acting from a, a place of more emotion, I guess. So yeah, like it's a, it's an interesting dynamic. And the thing is, it's kind of sad as well because Peter and Gwen have had such a nice friendship and mentor menteeship over the course of the sort of three arcs prior to this. This sort of feels like an end to that, right? Like that that previously very friendly very uh close sort of friendship there is sort of just sort of vanished with the outlawed event um and we we haven't like even when gwen's shown up again in pete's comics they haven't been written like the way Maguire wrote them prior to this conversation so i i almost feel bad because this sort of feels like a like a like a breaking up of a friendship and yeah like it's a good it's good scene though it's good like ah the catharsis the angst you know it's a good read
1: I don't think I would have called it a breakup. I think it, it would just be frosty at best. And then last remains is just, oh, forgiven. Yeah. And, and the thing is, like, I imagine it would have gotten forgiven at some point anyway. Like, that's
0: not beyond the realm of possibility. But they don't do that. So, you know, it it's strange. Um,
1: yeah. But I get uh, wanting to sponsor Gwen because, you know, he's already lost one he certainly doesn't want to lose another one on his watch.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. And and the thing is, like, yeah, he does have an overprotective streak that's, like, shown up in Spider-Verse then, I guess, as well, hasn't it?
1: Back in Spider-Verse, they even made that promise to each other to watch each other's back since they lost their versions of the other. Yeah, that's a
0: good Point. And and the thing is, like, what I think this would have been interesting building towards is to have a moment where Cradle is pursuing Gwen, and Peter has to pick between uh taking Cradle's side or taking Gwen's side, and that would have been really interesting, or at least like because that sort of seems like the direction they're taking that in by having Outlawed and Peter and Gwen sort of all players at once. But yeah, it just sort of didn't didn't happen. We didn't get that, so we didn't get um we didn't get Spider-Man and Ghost Spider fighting the cops and we didn't get Spider-Man fighting Ghost Spider. We didn't get them becoming friends again either. Like, it's sort of just, yeah, I I really would have liked to have seen some kind of resolution to that. But, um, like, prior to this, I wouldn't have considered, like, Wanting Peter Parker to be in the Ghost Spider comics really a thing, like it's something I I would be very ambivalent on because obviously you've got Miles Morales and Jessica Drew if you want to use a 616 character to team up with, um, but uh, Maguire uses Peter in a really compelling way throughout this run, and here I think in a compelling way too, and I do think there is a legit like a legitimate case for Peter 616 to continue to appear in the Ghost Spider comics. Uh, there's genuine friendship here and one that I think is pretty great.
1: Yeah. Um who else do we have here? Is there still more to talk about the maker?
0: Uh I think we, we wrapped all of that up.
1: Okay. Captain Stacy. Um yeah, he's
0: he's a little bit more um I don't know, he seems kind of stuck in this loop of really not liking that Gwen is going out there and doing stuff. Even the the the, the nonviolent stuff. He's concerned for her safety. In a way that that is quite literal definition of it, patronizing and
1: yeah, it's I, I I don't know. um I think it's just him being a dad in general.
0: Yeah, he he is, and, and again, like Pete, he's overprotective, but in maybe a slightly different way. Like he would like to go and I think wrap up superheroing outright, and he still gets his way, doesn't he? So yeah, he's in an interesting place with all of that. Um, he is also returned like fully to. Like active duty here. Like he is now out in the field being a cop. He isn't just at the office.
1: And they even mention heart attack again. They do. They mention the heart attack. I think just, where's the, where is the heart attack?
0: Why do they. But yeah, like, um, I like I like that one conversation they have where they argue over how to get into a bank. I thought that was fun because there's a tension there, like over the different directions of their respective versions of law enforcement um but also because like their father and daughter and they, they have like really like cute interaction there i think it's really fun um yeah like i like that that was good
1: it's just a shame that even though that captain stacy he just wants what's best for gwen but you know at the same time he's kind of passive aggressively trying to nudge her out of superheroing yeah, he's very clear that he doesn't approve, but he can't do anything about it. So, But that final scene with him and Gwen talking about her exile. It's nice. And
0: I think you feel the loss like you do in the conversation with Pete, but in a more permanent sense. Yeah, it's it's sad. And I'm glad they get to hug. I'm glad they get to do that. It's nice.
1: And then we get to see some of the Mary Janes here.
0: Yeah, um, the Mary Janes so this was solicited right that they were going to do a multiversal concert tour like they were literally gonna play gigs around the multiverse which they didn't they didn't do um, but they they used some elements of that they travel around the multiverse and visit different concerts and bands and stuff which i thought was interesting
1: yeah they're visiting different versions of I think what seems to be I think it's panic at the disco
0: yeah like the yeah nightmare at the nightclub and and all of that right like different names and i I like that mcguire does that where she riffs on pop culture stuff by giving it like names that like grandparent would give for different celebrities and (laughs) in in pop culture references right like um yes have have you listened to nightmare at the nightclub recently and sort of stuff like that and it's um you know, that sort of a vibe from the different naming schemes for them. And and yeah, like it's, 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 uh, it's good. And, and the thing is, like Mary Jane's and Gwen seem to be tighter here. Like, I think they've reached, like, after Dog Days are over an impossible year, they've reached a better place. They're in a good space.
1: I think the, uh, concerts are supposed to be a way for making up for the whole jackal ordeal.
0: They are. You know, like they've, I think things have boiled over now and things are okay. Like, Gwen's attending practice on time, and the Mary Janes are able to spend time with her across the multiverse. And yeah, like, I think that's just sort of what they needed was was that sort of time together. And I'm glad they established that. Because prior to this point, those first two arcs, it feels kind of dire. Like, it feels like they aren't, you know, like, in a good place.
1: Like, yeah, is this the only arc where um, MJ's not angry at Gwen?
0: Yeah, like if it weren't for like the few scenes they have, every scene with MJ and Gwen would be a fight scene, uh, like an argument uh, throughout the full Maguire run. If it weren't for the stuff that we have in Party People, and this includes Gwen versus Carnage as well. So like. Uh, yeah, like, I think MJ needed this. Otherwise, she would have come off as a very shallow character. We we do also have a reaffirmation of Glory and MJ being in, in a relationship here, which was nice to see, because it sort of wasn't super obvious from the earlier arcs. Um. So, yeah, like, nice, good stuff.
1: There. But going back on their multiversal concert tour, when we thought that they were just doing gigs across the multiverse... Uh wouldn't it have been interesting if they played a gig on Earth 616 and then MJ just learns about her variant?
0: Yeah, no I think that'd be cool. I think I think um MJ 616 and MJ 65 are quite similar in a lot of ways. Like so yeah, that there'd that, be some fun interactions there. But the fact that MJ uh 616 is famous, right? Like she is famous. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not wrong in saying that. Like she is like that would maybe cause problems for MJ 65.
1: I guess that people around Earth 616 could get away with the fact that oh the Mary Janes just named themselves after MJ.
0: Yeah, maybe. Maybe it's an elaborate parody or something. But yeah,
1: they had a good time
0: of it here and and obviously the like MJ's obviously angry at the end when she gets this voicemail. Like you can see her face.
1: Yeah, like Betty and Glory, they're all uh, devastated that Gwen left and then MJ's just angered at the voicemail.
0: Honestly, I'd be too like if if my friend left forever. Like my closest friend left forever, and all I had was a voicemail to show for it. I would be upset. I'd that'd be no good.
1: And even in the uh, captions where Gwen tells MJ, "Don't you dare get a new drummer." I don't want to be your Pete Best.
0: Yeah, so that's uh, is that a reference to like the guy from the Beatles?
1: Yeah, I think because I, I don't have my music history quite up to date. Like I'm not really much into music, but. Yeah, I think Pete Best is kind of considered that fifth Beatle.
0: Okay, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you're right. Randolph Peter Best is an English musician known as the drummer of the English rock band The Beatles immediately before the band achieved worldwide fame. So, yeah, that sucks to be here, I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah, and even um, that's quite eerily similar to what the Mary Janes are going through. They're trying to get their big break. And then Gwen's telling them, don't you dare make me your Pete best.
0: Yeah, I think she wants them to keep the spot open. But like, also, practically speaking, they have to have somebody on percussion, right? Like,
1: well, Glory's done double duty before.
0: That's true. Yeah, Okay, that makes sense.
1: I think that's it for the Mary Janes until next week. Well, one member anyway. Yeah.
0: Yeah, well, right, right. Um, So, yeah, we'll get into that uh who's left uh reed richard 65
1: Mm -hmm. who we haven't seen i
0: think since gwenham yeah he's been gone a while and i think it's like he comments on this he's he's not happy about it uh uh, but yeah i i I think it's interesting like gwen seems really convinced that he's going to have insight into why the storm siblings who are like a good i don't know 15 years older than him and not his immediate family in the same way that they are in in the other universe it's like he's not he's not gonna know that he can't speak to their experience particularly so it's like I don't know it seems strange
1: but no but it's been mentioned that Reed is aware that in the other realities his variants are part of the Fantastic Four but he's not sure well it's well it's obvious that his age is pretty much why he's not part of the Fantastic Four on Earth 65 yeah but you'd think that they would have some sort of connection.
0: Yeah. Uh, ben Grimm and then the Storm siblings and then Reed Richards are, all have very drastically different ages. They're all from different generations. So, yeah, I think that's sort of that's shot the Fantastic Four of Earth-65 in the foot. And yeah, like he's he's obviously just generally a clever person and, and quite a wise person. He's, he's He's been a sort of he tends to end up in this advisor role to Gwen, I think, which is unfortunate. Like he's just constantly stuck in a support role. I would like to see Reed Richard 65 get some kind of proper characterization where he gets to like choose stuff outside of just giving Gwen advice and and support,
1: maybe? I guess he's supposed to be what Mr. Fantastic is to Peter and what Maker is to uh, Eddie.
0: Yeah, yeah he does and like the thing is Mr. Fantastic and like Maker they have lots of different things where they sort of they make selfish or selfless sort of decisions with the tech they're using and I'd be interested to see if Reed 65 sort of got some of that. Um, I thought it was interesting how they referenced some of his interactions with the Reeds of the Multiverse, particularly with like the Flames thing, because it seems that um, Seanan Maguire has read the uh, character profile thing that was written for Reed Richards 65 back in the original spider Gwen run, uh, which references how he has a predilection for using something called Cosmic Flame, um, and he apparently uses it in multiple different instances fighting different Reed Richards's and yeah, like that's being referenced here, uh, which I thought was fun. So yeah, like anything along those lines, I think would just be just be cool, you know.
1: But with the council, I was confused whether or not if Maker and Reed 65 actually ever met, because Maker is aware of a Reed 65's existence. But Reed said that he's met several evil versions of himself, but doesn't even mention the worst one being the Maker.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know if, like, the maker is considered the worst Reed Richards. There probably are worse ones than him. Like, he's not evil, evil, evil. Like, as far as Reed Richards go, he's, like, not great. But he's often on the side of not the worst people in the room, at least. he's
1: Because Gwen said that she never wants to meet an evil Reed Richards. And then Reed tells her that he's met a couple of them.
0: Yeah, maybe he has met the Maker. And yeah, I, you know what I'd like to see is Reed 65 versus Reed 1610. I think that would be fun. Like Reed 65 wielding cosmic flame and the Maker doing his symbiote stretchy stuff and all that. You know, like, I think that would be
1: fun. Symbiotes don't like fire. Well, unless if Reed genetically enhanced it.
0: Seems like the kind of thing he might do. Because he, he did modify it when he did get a symbiote, right? Yeah. Yeah, so like he could do that. But yeah, like Reed, Reed 65 just feels like underutilized. He feels very s- restricted to the support role and he doesn't get to sort of like, he's just consulted a lot. Like, all of the time he's being consulted. And like, he never asks Gwen for anything. He just sort of passively offers up the advice. And, and I'm like, yeah, no, I'd like to see him used in a more meaningful way where he's a more active role in the plot outside of building stuff and offering Gwen advice. Like, I think this was a problem back in the Latour run as well, I think, where he's essentially just used as this sort of person who comes in and magically builds the thing or provides Gwen with the moment of clarity with sage advice and then fades back into the background. And I'm like, you know, like, he can he can do something, right? Like, he's got to have flaws or desires and needs or just gets bored sometimes, right? Like,
1: surely... And I kind of noticed this about Reed. It's kind of pretty minor, but did his appearance change since we last saw him in Gwenum Because he's got glasses now. His hair's gotten taller. It's no longer skunk hair.
0: Yeah, he's he's had um he's had a new haircut. Yeah, uh, he's oh yes, he does have glasses. Yeah, you're right. So I mean, he's gotten older, right? It's been a year or so. So makes sense.
1: But even the uh, the areas of the hair which is supposed to be white. Like, I think that's gone now.
0: Yeah, it seems uh, like it's part of the fade, so it's not really, you can't really see it, even if it were there, so, yeah.
1: Now, he looks like Into the Spider-Verse Miles if he wore glasses. Yeah, he, he does look quite
0: different from previous appearances. But yeah, I think I think you just put that down for, an, for to an aging thing.
1: I just found it interesting to point it out.
0: Yeah, right. Is that all of our thoughts
1: now? I guess it is.
0: Oh, my days. Yeah. We, we, I think we covered a lot there. This is a big one.
1: Yeah. Is there even concluding thoughts or did we pretty much cover our bases? Um, I guess we could have a most sort of a summary of party people as an arc. Um,
0: yeah. Um, I mean, I like party people. It's probably like the stuff they're playing around with this in this arc. I think, you know, stuff like Outlawed villains like the storm siblings and the way the symbiote's being used all of that i really love and i really like this arc because of the way it uses those things but the problem is like it doesn't really provide much payoff for all of the setup of the previous arcs and all of the setup it has here never really gets proper payoff in future arcs so this arc is strange to read in that sense because you have all of this exciting stuff happening but it's not leading on from, from much and it's not really going anywhere so that's a shame and um yeah like this is a like this is a fun arc in terms of like again like the symbiote stuff is so good and uh that fight in ghost spider number 10 is, is probably one of my favorites in the whole run and you know the storm siblings are really cool i think the idea of sue storm getting to be dr doom is fun i think the way they use the outlaw event is quite is done well um but yeah i think this is definitely one of the most egregious examples of how editorial decisions or shenanigans or whatever was going on in the background here can quite severely impact the direction of a comic. And uh, yeah, like something happened here. A bunch of things happened here. A bunch of pivots were made one after the other quite drastically changed the direction of the comic that that's affected the final product quite severely, I think. And I'd be interested to sort of find out what happened there and, and, you know, talk with people who are involved behind the scenes and say, you know, hey, what what happened with this comic (laughs) book? Um, Are you going to finish it? But I guess we'll see.
1: Yeah, like what I thought about Party People when I first finished the arc last year, I'm kind of thinking, what happened? Because like you said, it's kind of very disjointed because, you know, we've got all these pivots. Suddenly we're using the maker and then all of a sudden he's just dropped and then we shift focus back on the storms because it did seem like that the maker was going to use the storms and something, but because of editorial conflict or just maybe miscommunication, like, yeah, this arc wasn't able to utilize the maker properly. And then also with the, uh, Gwennam stuff, like I love the Gwennam stuff. Like this was the big plus for me because, you know, me being a symbiote Stan, (laughs) right. Yeah. I love it when, like, everything is just symbiote, symbiote, symbiote. Like, I'm never going to tire about that. It's because, you know, the way they use Gwenem here, I'm just, oh, yes, this is what Gwenem should be. Nice. But I do have to um, gripe at the fact that the solicits, they were advertising something sinister going on with Gwenem, Like I said uh, previously about Null's impending arrival on 616 when the band was doing their multiversal concert tour. I'm just thinking... Is Null having some sort of preemptive strike on Gwen? Only just because that was the way the solicit was. And I was thinking, ooh, is something going to be happening?
0: Yeah, it sort of felt like that.
1: And then I also had the other thought, is the Maker also interested in Gwen as Gwenem Just because of his research into symbiotes. But I think overall, I liked how they use the Storms. How they're pretty much the catalyst for Gwen moving to six one six. Like, semi-permanently, or at least, like, for now anyway, until she figures out what to do with them. Yeah, I really liked how they utilized the Storms as the sort of social media corruptive influencers. Well, they're kind of more corruptive towards Gwen, just because, you know, they kicked her out of home because they want to take it over. Right. And, yeah, that's pretty much all I have to say about the Storms. They're jerks. Yeah, they're... um... They're not great. No, but I guess when the book gets picked up again, fingers crossed. I'm kind of hoping. I'm praying to know. I'm pretty sure my chanting should work for next month anyway, because it's almost Halloween. Any month now. Let's hope. I'm hoping. Yeah. Let's keep hoping. So, should I give the spiel about what we're doing next week? Is that our show? Yeah,
0: spiel away. This has been a good. This has been a good show.
1: All right. So next week, I'm really excited for this. We're going to be reading King in Black, Gwennam versus Carnage. Yes. I'm really going to have a field day reading and reviewing this arc. Absolutely. Same here. So as the title implies, this is set during King in Black, written by Donnie Cates and art by Ryan Stegman. And even though it's not considered essential reading, we still love this book to death anyway, because it's mostly, you know, self-contained and stuff. Yeah.
0: So like we won't be like reading King of Black as well. It is just this tie in
1: Yeah. So obviously with the title, with the characters, we get to see more of Gwenum. Null's gonna be there. Uh, we get a little bit of update at the jackal, but the biggest elephant in the room is that MJ is Carnage on Earth Six One Six. Yes. MJ sixty five actually. Yes. So we get to see how that whole brawl goes down. Absolutely. But yeah, really super pumped to read this next week. So, you know, as always, we'll put links in the description of what to buy and where to read it. It's on Marvel Unlimited right now. And it's also on Comixology. We do do this as a book club. So if you wanted to send in your thoughts about King in Black, well, this many anyway, not the whole thing. You can follow us at GS Groupies on Twitter. Or you can email us at GhostSpiderGroupies at gmail.com. We also have a coffee page if you want to help us pay for the Podbean subscription fees. Like just chuck in a few dollars, it would be much appreciated. Yes, please. Yes, please. And that's our show.
0: Yeah, it is. It's been good. Thank you, everybody.
1: All right. For this week's episode, I've been Abigail. And I've been Pax. Bye, everyone. Bye.